0: You're listening to a podcast from Gateway Baptist Church, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you'd like to join us or find out more, visit gatewaybaptist.com.au. Well, good morning, everyone. And you grab a seat. Great to hear all the chat. Make sure you go and grab a coffee at the end of the service and continue those conversations. It is uh, it is good to be back here at McKenzie. Um, it's been a while since I've been here, so uh, real joy if I haven't met you. Uh, my name is Andrew, and City Campus Pastor, as Tim said before. And uh, we've been going about four years now, just over four years, so it's been an absolute joy and always good to come back. It's great to be with you and great to be with you uh, online as well. I think this is the first time that I've preached for our online service as well, so great to have you from wherever you are coming from uh, around the world. Well, listen, if you've been with us at all over the last month or so, we have been journeying through uh, or studying uh, King David, the great king of Israel, and doing a bit of a character study. I trust if you've been following along, that you've been enjoying it, there's something about studying real lives that is earthy and uh, relatable, and certainly I've enjoyed uh, sitting in David and looking at uh, some of the aspects of this, this uh, young man who grew up to be king, and we started by looking at David as, as a young man, the youngest of eight sons, who was uh, pulled out of obscurity. And the prophet and priest, Samuel, anoints him to be king of Israel, this young man who has a heart after God, uh, a young man who spends his time in the fields looking after sheep. And we looked at that in the first week, and then the next week, uh, we explored David, the courageous warrior, the one who, in confidence, confidence in, in what God had given him, took down Goliath, the great giant of Gath. And uh, so we observed this, this young man walking in conviction and courage. Last week, uh, we looked at David the king who had a great fall, who, uh, who sinned horrifically. And uh, he had to work through uh, both his sin, the impact of sin, and confession. And this week, we are looking at David the artiste. David, the songwriter, David, the musician, David, um, the guy who played the harp. You know, I like to think of David as the Hugh Jackman of the ancient world. You know, warrior and artiste, musician, the singer and the dancer, which we're going to see a little bit later on today. You know, it's like Wolverine meets the greatest showman. And, uh, and so uh, that, is, that is David. And uh, one of the things I love about David the musician, David the songwriter, is he he wrote a whole bunch of Psalms. We we, we see written at least 73 that we see in the Psalms in the Bible, which you can find right in the middle of Scripture. It's like the the hymn book, the liturgy for the people of Israel. And uh, they are songs, David wrote at least 73, he may have written more, but they are songs that are written from life experience. So I love the Psalms. Every day I spend time in the Psalms and even when I, I, I miss it I have to, or, or move away, I have to come back to the Psalms because there is something that is relatable, there is something that is earthy, there is something that is real. Because songs arise from personal experience, don't you find? They, they come from, from what we've walked through and David writes from these experiences, the reality of life in all its glory and all its gore. And today we're going to, and you would have received this, why don't you wave this little uh, uh, piece of paper that will guide us through today. And let me encourage you to hold on to this. I mean, yes, use it as a fan if you need to. Um, uh, but, uh, but take it home, stick it on your fridge, put it next into your Bible and use it as a bit of a guide for your time with God. But there is a, there is a, 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 a liturgy or there's a What Walter Brueggemann calls is an Old Testament theologian, and I'm I'm not claiming any of this for myself. He kind of shapes or characterizes the Psalms into three uh, parts. There are Psalms or songs of orientation. There are Psalms or songs of disorientation. There are Psalms and songs of new orientation or reorientation. And we've already spent some time singing songs of orientation. This morning, as we gathered together and as we sang and we lifted our hearts and our voices and our hands, we sang songs of orientation. Songs that speak of who God is and our place in it. They're songs of joy. They're songs of life. They're songs that speak of the way that life should be. And David sang and wrote these songs of orientation. Come on, we all all have these moments, don't we? These moments of orientation where we think, yes, this is the way life should be. Isn't life great? Isn't God good in the way that He has made me, created me, and placed me? We have these moments, right? It might be driving down the highway on the way to holidays. It might be after spending a great evening with friends or looking out onto a beautiful landscape or looking at your child sleeping. It's about the only time I find joy. Uh, with <laughs> I'm joking. Um, Reflecting on a a life victory at a music concert when you get that sense of the transcendent or listening to that song on the radio. You know, in these moments, you have this feeling, this sense of the presence, the grace and the glory of God and you just wanna shout. You just wanna sing. Your heart is full. Anyone ever had those moments? We all have those moments. Now, I've had a bunch of those moments this year. Uh, I had the gift of being able to take some long service leave with our family during the middle of the year. And so we packed up our family and our lives and we stuck it in a caravan and we drove halfway around Australia. And uh, it was amazing. You know, I really loved going out west and going into the outback and just seeing the massive horizons, enjoying the, the, the sunrise and the sunset and, and all of the vivid colors of what is Central Australia. There was one moment that uh, particularly stood out to me. We'd gone to Alice Springs and then gone out along the West MacDonald Ranges if you've ever been out that way. It kind of fans west from Alice Springs out to the the red centre, right into the middle of Australia. And uh, we went right to the end of the West MacDonald Ranges and uh, got a campsite at the final gorge there and stayed the night, had a fire and just enjoyed our time there. And then the next morning before the sun came up, I woke up all our kids, got Megan and Packed some breakfast and we jumped in the car and we drove an hour and a half on dusty, bumpy dirt roads to this, you know, what otherwise would be an unremarkable hill called Hastings Bluff. It's kind of been renamed now to Memory Mountain and we got there as the sun was coming up. And the reason it's significant, as you'll see behind me, is because the Indigenous leaders of that area uh, this year decided to put a huge cross on the top of this hill right in the middle of Australia as a statement of their heart for our nation. And so we parked up, as you can see, our car there, and we had our breakfast and just enjoyed the sun coming up and the light as it, as it fell on, on, the, on the hill and, and the surrounds. It was just, it was vivid, it was beautiful, it was wonderful. And I went for a walk and took some photos and just celebrated and enjoyed God's creation, it was one of those moments where, ah, this is the way life was created to be. And we jumped back in the car and put on the music loud and and just celebrated all the way home. It was just a beautiful moment of orientation. And I reckon that David had these moments, these moments of orientation, this shepherd boy out in the fields as he watched the sun go down. Beautiful sunsets over the hills, overlooking his sheep, and then he would have seen the stars all come out in all their glory. And then he would have seen the sunrise again. And I imagine in these moments, particularly as he reflected on being anointed the, the future king of Israel, he would have had these moments of going, God, you're amazing. In fact, we know what he was thinking because he's written a whole bunch of songs about it. We heard one of them before when Susie read Psalm 8 Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory. In the heavens, or maybe Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech and use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens, God has pitched a tent for the sun. It is like a bridegroom coming out of His chamber, like a champion rejoicing to run His course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is deprived of its warmth. Or maybe Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. He goes on to say, lift up your, your heads, you gates, Be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. These words of wonder, these words of joy, these words of stating that God is sovereign, He is over all, and I find my place in it. These are valuable songs. Just as we sang before, they are songs that come with great meaning and power. Why do we sing these songs? Well, they remind us of grace. They remind us that there is purpose over meaninglessness. It's a reminder that we have intrinsic value. It's a reminder that we've been created in the image of God. Walter Brueggemann says it this way, The function of this kind of psalm is theological, that is to praise and thank God. But such a psalm also has a social function of importance. It is to articulate and maintain a sacred canopy under which the community of faith can live out its life with freedom from anxiety. Anybody want that? That is, life is not simply a task to be achieved, an endless construction of a viable world made by effort and human ingenuity. There is a givenness to be relied on, guaranteed by none other than God. We sing these songs, David writes these songs of orientation, understanding of our place under God in this world. But as we know, life is not a bed of roses and life has a way of throwing us a U-turn or two. And so we have these Psalms or songs of disorientation. You know, as we were driving back from hanging out and spending time at Hastings Bluff, Memory Mountain, having a wonderful time as a family, playing our tunes really loud as we drove back, we hit a snag. I ran over a sharp rock and we got a flat tire. Now, that, that wasn't necessarily the bad thing. The thing that brought me great distress, disappointment and pain was when Megan turned to me we found out we had a flat tire and she said, oh no. Will we even be able to get a mechanic out here? And I turned to her. I said, Megan, get out. Go for a walk. I will fix this. I was was shocked and distraught. I'm still working it through that Megan didn't think that I could change a tire. And, uh, And we did. Uh, Me and Jakey, my youngest son, we, I know, now someone pointed this out at City, they said, Andrew, we actually didn't see your car with the tyre on it, Uh, but rest assured, yes, I did manage to change the tyre. You know, there are things in life that come, they give us a a curveball and we walk through and experience seasons of pain. Now, I'm being a little bit trite with that. The reality is, is that we do walk through seasons of pain disappointment, discouragement, grief, sorrow, and loss. And they may be because of circumstances that we find ourselves in or because of things that we've done, the sin that we have done. And I reckon we struggle to acknowledge pain. I think in our world today, we struggle to actually say that life is tough. And when people ask us how we're going, and how are you doing, Pretty hard to say, you know what, life is rubbish at the moment. It's really tough. What's their normal answer? Oh, yeah, good. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. You know, we live in a time and a context where we are pursuing happiness at all costs. And if if things get hard, if life gets tough, then we've got plenty of things to distract us, to numb the pain. So that we don't have to ponder and think and dwell on the challenges that we're walking through. which hold in our context, in our culture, society, that you shouldn't be experiencing pain. Go and numb yourself with this, this, or this. And I think in the church too, we've struggled to acknowledge and look at pain for what it is. Somehow we, we have this mentality that if you are walking faithfully with God, if you're living in the victory then you shouldn't be experiencing seasons of disappointment, sin, uh, disappointment, grief, and pain. That's not true. You know, there are songs of lament that we see in the Psalms that invite us to look square on at the disappointment and the struggles of life. But somehow in our modern world and even in our modern church, we struggle to sit in this place of Lament. I was looking for songs of lament that we could sing today. I tell you, there's not many songs written in the last 30 years, contemporary songs that are happy just to sit in lament. Very difficult to find. We don't like sitting in these difficult places. But songs of lament are so vital in processing our pain and our grief. I found this quote, I don't even know who to attribute it to, but I really love what they write. They say this, Music tethers us to a place of security. It allows us to tap into our deepest emotions, helping us discover those emotions, giving us a safe space from which to process our emotions and tame the overwhelming. Music is a tool to navigate grief. While we consciously influence, direct, and channel raw emotions that we may not otherwise know what to do with. Music, you're using music to create your story. You can redefine your relationship with grief and even transform it into a thing of beauty. There is something about grief and loss that is powerful. And that actually gives us, when we when we find the words to sing and say, it gives us a way to articulate our pain and our grief. You know, many of the great songs have come out of pain and grief and disappointment. That's why the Brits are so good at writing songs. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? I lived in England for 10 years, I can say this kind of thing. You see, David writes honestly. He writes songs of lament. Both out of spaces where he's done things wrong, where he has sinned, and we looked at that last week, where David, in the midst of his grief over his own actions, can say, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, and lands in that Psalm 51 by saying, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. David knew grief because of his own sin, But David knew grief because of the circumstances he found himself in. You know, Saul on multiple occasions tried to kill David, both when David was serving as a musician in the court and then when David escaped and ran out into the desert and gathered his band of, of men, Saul hunted him continuously, seeking to kill David. David knew what it was to grieve. He knew what it was to, to lose family members, to be caught and to be captive under the power of others. He knew what it was like to be abandoned by his friends, his close friends, and even his own family when Absalom, his son betrayed him. David understood what it was to experience times of grief. There's one moment that we read in 1 Samuel chapter 30 when he is out in the desert with his men and he goes to help another group of people in a battle and he leaves, or they leave their families and their livestock and they go. When they come back, another group has come through and taken all their family taken all their livestock, and it's a moment of absolute and utter grief. And we read in 1 Samuel 30, verse six, this, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters, but David found strength in the Lord, his God. In this moment of bitterness, David looked up and he found strength in God. And you can imagine in that space and time, he would have sung out to God. Oh God, as Psalm 55 says, My heart is in in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen on me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, oh, that I had the wings of a dove. I would fly away and be at rest. Ever felt like praying that prayer, singing that song? Psalm 63 A song that David writes. You get this line, I love it, from Psalm 50 to Psalm 60. It's kind of all these laments, all these songs that David writes out of personal hardships and experiences. You can go and check them out later. But Psalm 63, he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. David is crying out to God in the injustice, in the pain of what he is enduring and what he is going through. It's kind of like he's raising his fist and saying, God, this isn't fair. Why is this happening to me? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? I've done nothing wrong. You've anointed me as king, yet I'm being threatened, I'm being chased. I mean, people are trying to kill me. And he looks at his darkness, he looks at his despair and he brings it, before God in all honesty. It's a protest. It's a protest against what is, knowing that he wants and longs for something better. And this is the gift of the lament. As Walter Brueggemann says, the Psalms are profoundly subversive of the dominant culture which wants to deny and cover over the darkness we are called to enter. Personally, we shun negativity. Publicly, we deny the failure of our attempts to exercise control. But through its propaganda and the ideology of consumerism, our society goes its way in pretense. Against all of this, the Psalms issue a mighty protest and invite us into a more honest facing of the darkness. I wanna ask you, what darkness are you facing darkness are you facing right now what are the what are the things the scars the wounds the story the history that you carry with you that in the quiet moments comes back to haunt you what are the circumstances that you're walking through right now the pain that you feel the things that are going on in your life what are those dreams or those hopes that have been unfulfilled and you're coming before God and saying God but you promised where is it why God, why, why did you allow that to happen? Why me? And you can't understand it. You don't understand why it's happening and, you, and and you're not quite sure if you're allowed to come to God and ask those kind of questions. Well, David gives us full permission. Why God, why God? And in fact, if you want any more permission, then we get to look at God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Himself sung songs of lament. And in the most unjust act, the one who did not sin was cast upon a cross. Naked, bloodied and shamed, Jesus hung on a cross for your sin and mine. And in that place, in that agony, in that pain, in that shame, Jesus grabs hold of the words of David, a lament that David writes and Jesus takes it for himself. And he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish, David writes. My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Jesus sings the song of lament. He grabs the song of David and says, God, where are you? I'm walking through darkness. I'm walking through pain. And this is so hard. And where are you in my darkest hour? We are invited to sing these songs of lament. In fact, it's the way that we walk through our grief. It's the way that we make sense of our pain. I'd love to invite us this morning to sit in that place. It might be uncomfortable for us. Remember, we don't really do this much. But I invite you just to sit in the quiet as Eden and Jesse sing over us a song of lament song, maybe you know, maybe you don't, but that's that's okay, just sit and come before God and maybe your prayer is God, why? God, why? Well, God, this this is what I'm walking through. But allow your heart, allow the words of your heart to rise to a God who invites us into lament. So why don't we lament? Shut your eyes if you need to and allow the team to sing over us as we said before. Kept count of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? And my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me, in God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. God, we thank you that you invite us into lament. And God, for those of us this morning who are carrying grief and pain and disappointment and heartache, God, will you comfort them? May they know your presence. May you surround them. May you fill them. God, we thank you. We thank you that you invite us into a place of honesty. You don't ask us to be anything or pretend. But God, we can bring everything and all that we are to you. And we worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, songs of disorientation are powerful. And I trust that even that brief moment has enabled you to Come before God. I encourage you at the end of the service, if you would like to receive prayer, do come and we'll create some space for you to to receive prayer and to allow others to bless you and come alongside you and comfort you. But disorientation isn't the only or the last category of song that David writes. There are songs of orientation. There are songs of disorientation. But there are also songs of new orientation, songs of reorientation. You know, those songs where the story has radically changed, where you thought that things were going in one direction, but profoundly, surprisingly, everything's been turned on its head. We've gone through those moments, those experiences where you received that phone call or that bit of news and you're just, your heart just leaps. It's a euphoric experience where the story, the script has changed, are there any people out here who just love cricket? Any cricket lovers? I know Joel Eames will be at least one. Uh, there's a few of us. There's a few. Anyone watched the World Cup final the whole way through? Oh, come on, come on. That, that was, our boy Manus did an amazing job. That was, that was incredible. That was, that was an amazing match uh, last week. I remember um, when, about 10 years ago, going to a one day international where Australia were playing the old enemy England at the Gabba. And it was a one-day international, and uh, things were not going well for Australia. We were chasing a large total, and we were all down bar one. It was nine for something. We needed 60 runs in six overs, and so, it, which if, if you know cricket, that's just a mountain way too high to climb. So people were leaving. They're kind of given up, and so let the, the gab was kind of half-emptied, but the faithful few Stayed on, including me. And uh, James Faulkner came in and uh, he just dominated the partnership, even though there was only one wicket left. And after hitting, smacking fours and sixes in the last over with three balls to spare, he hit a four to the boundary to win the game for Australia. And did you know what happened in that moment? There was, um, it, there was silence. You know, it was just like, oh, well done. This is good. No! No, there was euphoria, there was shouting. I've never heard the gabba so loud before. There was noise, there was jumping, there was dancing. You know, there were men who were hugging other men that they didn't know. Like I was hugging men who I didn't know, just turned around and said, this is amazing. And it was kind of, we looked at each other and said, that did not happen. Uh, It was a euphoric moment. You know, like the whole script had been turned on its head. Songs of new orientation where there is restoration, uh, hope beyond hopes. Something has happened and David has this moment in worship. There's a euphoric moment where he in his euphoria, just celebrates with all he has. And we find that story in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And reading from verse 12, you can get your Bibles if you want and open it up, the words will be on the screen behind. We read this story. Now, King David was told, "'The Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom "'and everything he has because of the ark of God.'" So, David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. Quick context. So, the Ark of the Covenant is the place that God resides for the people of the Old Testament. Where the Ark is, that's where God's presence is. It's located there. And it had been taken by the Philistines. And knowing David's heart, David longed for the presence of God. He's a man after God's own heart. He would have grieved over the fact that this ark of the covenant, God's presence was not in Jerusalem. It was not in the temple where it was supposed to be. David dreamed, dreamed of building the temple of God, which he ended up not doing because of last week's story, David and Bathsheba. But, But he built... He dreamed of God's presence coming back to the city. And so here is this moment of great rejoicing and excitement as the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence, is coming back to Jerusalem. We read this when those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. This was a slow, bloody process. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. So I just want to pause there and say, it was slow, it was bloody, but it was also incredibly noisy. It was loud. There's trumpets and shouting going on as they celebrate the presence of God coming to Jerusalem. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul and wife of David, watched from a window And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. Skip forward to verse 20. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. It was one of those came out to meet him. You ever husbands? You know, had one of those, kind of? I have anyway. Come home and Megan has been waiting for me. How the King of Israel has distinguished himself today going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michael, it was before the Lord who chose me rather than your father. Now that's a slap down right there. <laughs> or anyone from his house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people, Israel, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become even more undignified than this. I, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But, these, but by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honor. And Michael, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. We see here that David in his euphoria, in his joy, the thing that he dreamed of, God's presence coming back into Jerusalem, he rejoices, he worships, we read, with all his might. Through all the frustration and the disappointment and the grief that he'd walked through, this is a crowning moment for him and it's a time of great rejoicing. Undignified, maybe, but his eyes and heart are for the Lord and he is celebrating because the story has changed. I reckon there's an encouragement and a warning here in this story for us this morning. Firstly, the warning. The warning is don't allow cynicism to enter into your heart because that's what we see with Michael. Now, I don't know Michael's story too well. We, we see a bit of her story through, through, the, uh, through Samuel. But clearly, there is hurt, there is pain, there is bitterness, there is disappointment that causes her to see everything through the lens of cynicism and criticism. And see, here's the thing. Cynicism stops us, stops us from worship because it stops us from seeing the good. It closes us in on ourselves. We focus on ourselves and our own situation and our own life rather than opening up to God and the world around us. And cynicism never, ever brings life. And we become cynical through Our self-focus, our situation, maybe the things that go on around us, our shame, our sin, whatever it is, and it begins to, to, to hang on to us closely. I want to ask you, have you allowed cynicism to come into your heart? Have you become a little bit cynical? Maybe you've been a Christian a long time, and over the years, life's kind of beat you down and the disappointments, disappointments in God, with others, with the church, whatever it is, and that's become your narrative, and like Michael, you see the world through that lens. It's a cynical lens. So when you come to worship here on a Sunday, firstly, if you make it here on time, you find yourself just standing there and just judging other people for the way that they worship. Oh, there's that person down in row three doing the Pentecostal two-step with their hands in their hair, like fake. You judge other churches and other worship styles because it's not the, not to your liking. Cynicism has come into your heart and it will rob you of life and it will kill you. Don't let cynicism enter your heart. I wanna ask you, has that happened? Do you see that in your life, in your heart? We don't reject cynicism, but we are. The encouragement here is to worship with all our might. David worshiped, we read, with all his might. He worshipped in an ephod. He worshipped in his underwear. He was half naked. Now, I'm probably not encouraging you to come to church and whip off your shirt and start, you know, waving it around. Listen, for those of you who are watching online at your home, you can do whatever you want, okay? But maybe not here because we'll probably make the papers and it wouldn't be real good for us. But worship, worship with all our Might? why, because worship sets us free. It's the antithesis to cynicism. It actually opens us up. It opens our hearts up to God. It declares that God is over all and that we are part of his story. Worship can expose our insecurities and therefore build in us a new security. Why, because we're wrapped into a new story. And here's the good news, and David understands this we are part of a great new story. It's a story of new orientation. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of hope. And so David sings out in Psalm 30, this song of reorientation, of new orientation. He says, I will exalt you, Lord, for you lifted me out of the depths and you did not let my enemies gloat over me. Lord, my God, I called to you for help and you healed me. You, Lord, brought me up from the realm of the dead. You spared me from going down to the pit. And then he lands it this way. He says, You turn my wailing into dancing. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy, that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. This is a song of new orientation. David is taking hold of the new story. He is part of a bigger story a better story a redemption story I think David prophetically could understand that even in the midst of his sin even in the midst of his circumstances he had seen the faithfulness and the goodness of God and so he could say I have been saved and that's our great hope We've been given a new song to sing. See, the beauty of the Gospel is, the beauty of Jesus is, it's not just a song of orientation or disorientation. Jesus is not still on the cross. Jesus did not stay there singing a song of lament. Jesus rose three days later He rose from the death. He defeated sin and death and He came to new life. See, the Gospel is the great new orientation story and it's a story that we are invited into. If you are in Christ today, come on, you've got to take hold of this. You are part of a new story. You are part of it. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're part of a new story? Do you believe that you are redeemed, that you have been lifted from the miry clay, that your feet have been set upon a rock and that you can sing and know and live with a confidence that you're part of that story? Come on, do you know that? Anyone? Two people? Three people? That is your story. That is your story. And we sing that story. That's why we can sing with all our might, people, because our story is in Him and it's a story of new creation. Death has been defeated and we have been invited into new life. And so we are invited. Come on, we are to sing a new song. We are to sing a new song, a song of new orientation. We are to sing like we believe it. We are to sing so that we believe it. Keep singing it. Keep coming to church. Keep lifting our voice and keep finding yourself in the great story that is in Christ. So we need to keep reminding ourselves, keep singing, keep singing this new story just as David has led us in. So too, we're here to sing this new story. Come on, why don't we stand together? Come on, let's stand to our feet. And I'd love for us, come on, Bear, give us some energy. Come on, we're to sing of the cross and declare that we are part of a great new story. Come on, Susie, let's sing. Death could not hold you, the torn Inmost being praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Can I take hold of these words? Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. We worship a faithful God. He is a great God who speaks a new story over us, but he's also a faithful God who walks through us in the journey. And sometimes we just need to take hold of that fact of, God, I'm choosing to worship you. So come on, as we continue to sing, let's continue to remind ourselves, remind ourselves that God is faithful. God is good. What He has done in the past, He will do again. And we can look to Him in strength. Come on, let's continue to sing, continue to worship. find hope. And you know what? It's not just about worshipping the God who has been faithful in the past, who God is faithful in the present, but it's also worshipping a God who will be faithful forever. You know, there's one more song that we read, the last song in the Bible is found in Revelation. And it's a song that declares that there is a risen King who is seated at the right hand of the Father. And there is a song that rises up from all creation declaring that the story The story is one of redemption. There is a story of hope and we can enter into that. Yes, we sing and we worship now, we're joining with all creation and it's a little foretaste of what is to come. As we worship in this place, we get a picture of the worship that will be taking place in heaven. And we read in Revelation chapter five, these words, and they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to Him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honour and glory and power forever and ever. Come on, let's sing and worship the King that is above all King. Let's exalt Him. and declare the greatness, the majesty Playing. And i love for us, maybe you've got a new voice, you've got a new song to sing. It's not I exalt thee, it's something else. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, begin to sing, church. Pour out your heart. Pour out your praise. Whatever those words are in your heart, come on. Spill it out. Come on. God loves to hear the praises of His people. Come on, sing it out. Oh God, we we lift our voice, we lift our heart, we lift our eyes in praise to You. Because You are the God who has redeemed us from the pit. You are the God who has rescued us from our sin and our shame. God, we can walk with a new song. We can walk with a new song because we walk with a new story. And God, I pray, Lord God, that You will speak to our hearts. Lord God, that we will worship like we believe it. Lord God, that we will worship until we believe it. And Jesus, that You will fill our lungs and our heart with praise in a world that wants us to worship so many other things. God, I pray that our hearts, our minds, and our lives will be fixed on You. God, we worship You, the Creator, the Author, the Perfecter of faith, and the One who redeems us for eternity we lift our voice and we praise you and we thank you for all that you are you are worthy of all our praise and we worship you it's in the wonderful the mighty the powerful redeeming name of Jesus and everybody shout it out amen 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 Hey, thanks so much for being with us this morning. I trust that you do go with your heart filled and your eyes fixed on Him, that cynicism will be banished from your heart. Hey, I just had a, a, a couple of words or encouragements for you before we go. One, I just said, as we were worshiping at our eight o'clock, just a word for our men today. You know, sometimes it's really hard to sing and worship. I know coming to church, sometimes it's hard for some of us blokes, but I encourage you. David was a worshipper, and he wasn't a wuss. He was, a, he was a, a strong man, but he was also an artist. He was a warrior, but he also loved to worship. Let's encourage you, some of you men who struggle to, to sing and worship, to, to step out and to choose, overcome cynicism, and actually begin to find your voice speak over your life speak over your family speak over your circumstantial situation just an encouragement from me to you men in the room hey I also want to say as I said before if, if there have been things that have stirred up in your heart particularly as we lamented and, you, and there was, there's just a, a tear there's a weeping in your heart you'd just love to receive prayer our prayer team we're going to be down the front now and they'd love to pray with you and pray for you don't miss that opportunity just to receive ministry and our uh, healing today for that. And if you are uh, online today, make sure you let uh, let the, uh, the guys, the hosts know uh, online and they'd love to pray with you as well this morning. Hey, thank you so much for being with us. Bless you. Have a great week. Make sure you reserve your seat uh, for our carol services, which are coming up always a huge, wonderful occasion. Make sure you do that. Go grab a coffee. Have a great week and we'll see you next week. Bless you. Have a good one.
1: We hope that you've been blessed by this message. We're a growing family, and if you'd like to discover more about where we meet in all our
0: locations and online, visit gatewaybaptist.com.au.